will. Yes. Please. Thank you. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12. You can uh, kind of mark it there. Turn to Proverbs chapter 30. We're going to be jumping every, everywhere just a little bit to a certain extent. But I want to clarify real quick, just so you know, if you have children here today, we're going to be talking about something that most churches, or I would say churches when I grew up, didn't really ever talk about or address. And so we are going to be talking about intimacy and sex. Now, I believe there's an important reason why we have to talk about this. Number one, we live in a world that has bombarded with it. And I will tell you, if you have a son or a daughter who has a phone, they've most likely had or been instructed on certain things about what the world thinks about sex, okay? And I know, I know in the world we live in that parents oftentimes want to guard and protect our kids, and I completely agree with it, but I also want you to know that we're going to be smart about how we're doing. We're not going to be crass. We're not going to be rude. We're going to be very point blank about what we would say is a biblical view, and so when we talk about this, you'll notice with my sermon title, Thinking Biblically About Intimacy, that we're going to hammer the sucker out. You may or may not like it. You may or may not agree with what we're going to unpack, but I want you to understand a few things. Number one, we live in a world, as a matter of fact, I got this article sent to me on Friday morning from Pat Neal. Pat sent it over to me. I looked it up. Sure enough, came out. A recent article came out that said uh, by the Washington Times, according to the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University, America's Remnant, this is what it's called, the title of the, the, the thing, America's Remnant, only 4% of Americans now hold to a worldview rooted in biblical principles. Now, I want to be very clear. You may or may not hold to a biblical worldview. You may have some ideas. You may have some thoughts. You may say things like this. I believe this, but on this hand, I'm willing to give some exceptions. Now, I want to be very clear. As a pastor, as a couple, we hold to a biblical worldview. I interpret everything that's going on, both in the news and media, as well as things that go on in life, whether it's finances, sexuality, how I raise my kids, and everything else, viewed through a biblical worldview. In other words, just like I have glasses, I would look at whatever's going on by putting on my biblical glasses and looking at circumstances and situations, all right? So I want to unpack that very quickly, very clearly, because we're going to talk about a subject that most likely, if your kids have already gone through fifth grade, they have talked about it. You may or may not even know about it. Their school has brought it up. Matter of fact, the schools are, are even teaching on certain things. So we're going to jump in Romans chapter 12 real quick, verse 2, um, and then we're going to jump to Proverbs chapter 30. So let me flip there. Sorry, I don't have it bookmarked, uh, and I really have it memorized, but I want to just make sure I stick to my plan because your pastor can wander off script at times. Makes it very so. difficult for us to teach together. Like, it oh does, because I, I do wander. Where did wander. he go? <laughs> right, all right. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 2, listen to what it says. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. Matter of fact, I want everybody to stand up. Just real quick, stand up. We're going to read this, and, and, and I, I was kind of convicted about this you know, oftentimes we sit down and we read God's word, and I've done this in the past, but I want us to think about this. This is the thing we stand on. This is what we build our lives upon. So Romans chapter 12, listen to what it says. Do not what? Conform. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, right? In other words, don't 
follow or don't be pressed into this form that the world says is okay. Rather, listen, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Jesus came so that you and I would be renewed. We're brand new, right? The old is gone, the new has come. He came so that we'd be renewed in our mind. And then he says this, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Important for us to keep this in mind, that we're not conforming, but we're being transformed by God. Now jump, go ahead, you're about to say something. Actually, I want to back up for a second and Uh-oh. look at verse 1. This is not in our notes, this, so this is either, I don't know, it could be a train wreck. But So, <laughs> chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore I urge you, my brothers, in view of God's mercy, what urge you... If anyone's ever been in a place where they need to use the restroom and there's no place to go, like that's the idea here. Urge you, like you, you can, you know, put those things together in your head. I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And I think that whenever we live in a world that says, if it feels good, go for it. Feel, feels good, do it. That is exactly the opposite of what these two verses are talking about here. In view of God's mercy, the God who sent his son Jesus as the perfect sacrifice on the cross, in view of that mercy, we're supposed to say no to our flesh. It's not if you feel good or if it feels good, go for it. This is our spiritual act of worship. We have to die to ourselves here. Yeah, and so uh, let's flip to Proverbs 30 real quick. If you want to, you can follow along. Um, Heard these verses preached. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you, I took a little bit of my outline from another pastor in Montana who preached on this. I had never preached on this. Um, And I'm going to tell you, I did my own sermon, but I took his rough outline to go from. And I want you to think about, listen to what he says in Proverbs chapter 30. This is uh, Agur, son of of Jaka in chapter 30, verse 1. He says this. In verse 18, there are three things that are amazing for me and four that I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a maiden. And then in verse 20, it says this, this is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. Father, we pray today that your word would invade our lives, that we would stand on your truth, that we would begin to look at things with a biblical worldview because that's what you've set up. So God, may you guard our words. May our words bring glory and honor to you, God. May Jesus be made much of and would you invade our space and would you change our thoughts about what sexuality means. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. How many of you guys have seen The Mandalorian? Okay, some of you, yeah, my wife, no Star Wars. I know the Star Wars people are like, yeah, let's do, right? And all the other Star Wars people who I didn't know they existed, um, right? The, the ones who don't like Star Wars are like, what are you talking about? But if you've watched The Mandalorian, you know uh, that, that it follows Din, Din Djarin. I'm, I'm trying to make that, he's always called Mando, right? But he's, he's a bounty hunter who's hired by the Imperial forces to go after Everybody called it Baby Yoda, but it's Grogu, right? He's, he's to go and get Grogu. And in the midst of getting Grogu, he realizes that he's kind of got a soft spot uh, for Grogu, and he really wants to get Grogu where Grogu's supposed to be. 
right? But if, as you've watched the Mandalore or the Mandalorian, you know that there's uh, basically Mandalorians are a religious sect, all right? In other words, they have some viewpoints. Mandalorian armor is very expensive. It's, it's earned. Mando, uh, Mando, you know, Mandalorians don't show their face. That's part of the religious uh, ideology that they have. Like, hey, we don't show our face. And you'll know this because at one point, one of the Mandos asks Mando, right? Um, have you shown your face? And at that point, he says, no. And he says, what? Anybody know? This is the way. This is the way, and then the Mando responds back and says, this is the way, all right? So I want you to think about it in this way, because what ends up happening is Mando runs into a sheriff on, on Mos Pelgo. As a matter of fact, the sheriff is, is Cobb. Are these Van- actual words that yes. you're using? Yes, Mando. Yeah, see, you Star Wars, hey, every Star Wars person It's like its own language. Like, it I is. I don't even know what you're saying. A Mandalorian saying. is Bubba Fett. Well, kind of, not really. I mean, I got Bubba Fett's a Mandalorian, but, but, but not really. I mean, but, but, but so I'm not even going to go down that way. So, but I want you to understand what goes, what's going on, okay? In the midst of this story, he runs into a guy who is not a Mandalorian, but has Mandalorian armor. And he takes it. And he says, you didn't earn this. This isn't yours. And the guy goes, no, you're right. I just used it. And that's exactly what the world does. The world tries to take a, a covering to say, yeah, we, we're not really, we're not believers, we're not Christians, but we're going to make it look or act and make things acceptable. And what the Mandalorian does is he takes that armor and he says, look, this is not right. You're not that person. And listen, here's what plays out in, in, in sexuality in America today. And Christians are just as guilty of buying into it. We have bought the lies of what goes on around us, and we've told our kids it's okay. We've allowed that. We have even put up with it. And the problem with that is this. All throughout the text of Scripture, when we use what God gave as a blessing what God gave that's supposed to be majestic and beautiful, which is what plays out in in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 18, when we use what God gave that is supposed to be elevated and and raised up and, and pure and holy and set apart and different, that's supposed to be so majestic, and we bring it down to something that is common, normal, everyday, what ends up happening? It loses value. It doesn't have the real meaning. And so when, we, when she just talked about that, when, when the world says, if it feels good, go ahead, that's the lie that most people have bought into. And so today, listen, we're going to navigate the ambiguity of intimacy. So we're going to use those kind of terms together. Sexuality, intimacy, sex, those words are going to be thrown out. We're going to talk about it. But literally, especially in a world that tells you, if it's great, go for it. We have to navigate those words, right? And so we just jumped into what Romans 12 says. And I want you to think about it that way. Do not conform. Christians, believers, followers of Christ are not to conform our ideas, our thoughts, or our actions to the patterns of this world. In other words, I don't make myself into the mold that everybody else says is okay. I don't listen to the media I'm not going to listen 
to movies and think that that's okay. So here's the big idea. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this. If we don't learn to think right, we will never be able to live right or love right. I want you to think about what we just read in Proverbs chapter 18. Anybody ever seen an eagle in the sky? Right? Like growing up in Wyoming and Montana, they're everywhere. But have you ever realized how majestic and how beautiful a bald eagle is? Have you ever seen how big they are? Like I remember going to the Kansas City Zoo uh, probably a couple years ago, and, and the bald eagles were close to the glass section. And I'm standing there, and I'm like, that thing's almost to my chest. Like it's standing on the ground, and it's up like easily right here. It's massive. And I mean, living in Missouri, who doesn't know anything about turkey vultures or buzzards, right? Like, but have you ever seen a bald eagle eat roadkill? Like, deep down inside, there's something in my nature that wants to go, dude, what is wrong with you? Like, you're in a majestic bird. You should be scooping up fish out of the river and eating high above on this lofty perch. And you settle for roadkill. And I want you to think about it this way. How often do we settle in our lives for roadkill when what God says, I got something so much greater for you? Something majestic, something beautiful, something ornate, something that is kept for you and your significant other. So I told you we're going to be all over. We're going to jump into a few things, but I want to talk about the origin of sex, right? A lot of times people are like, well, it's just an animalistic characteristic. Flip to Genesis chapter 2 if you have your Bibles. Genesis chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 18. Everybody's going to look and go, I know this section. I know what's going on. But in verse 18, it says this, that the Lord God, now I want to, I want to preface something real quick. God speaks everything into existence, then he forms man. And in the midst of forming man, Adam is given a very specific direction. Adam, you're going to name everything, every animal, every bird, every fish, everything. Like, could you imagine having that job? Like, we used to joke around when I was in the Navy because all the radars that we dealt with on different ships all had a name. And we always joked around that there was some old lady in some government office somewhere that would be like, that's this, and they would name it. Like, we had the Spy One radar, and we had all these, and it's like, huh, I wonder who names all these things. But anyways, Adam is given this role of naming all the animals. The duck-billed platypus. The duck-billed platypus, right? Or the aardvark, right? Like aardvark was he bored was he like that's an aardvark it's a what this thing it eats ants what should it be called <laughs> an anteater right so but listen to what he says in verse 18 the lord god said now keep in mind everything's good he makes man it's very good and then he comes in verse 18 and he says what it's not good for man to be alone this is like the first time we see that god lays something out and it says listen man is not made to be alone so it's important for us to play this out and understand everything's been going good, but all of a sudden God realizes that man needs a helper, man needs a partner, man needs a something else that's going to be there for him. And you notice that he doesn't put a dog with, with Adam. You know, it's man's best friend, Right. but there is no suitable helper suitable. Right. for Adam at this point. And dogs had been created. They were part of it, you know? They're part of our lives, but there, there was something that was missing in that relationship with any of the other animals. Yeah, and so we, we begin to see this played out. So it says, literally, right? 
Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field. He brought them to man to see what he would name them. And whatever man called each living creature, that was his name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. But for Adam, again, no suitable helper was to be found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he's sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, now think about this. This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. I talk about God's fuzzy mouth all the time, but when God takes a a woman and a man and he brings them together, the two become one. Now, there's something very significant to be played out here, and I want you to know this. You may have certain viewpoints about homosexuality and all of those things, but I want you to understand, we will always accept people into the church, but we will always stand on God's word. God's word is the biblical viewpoint that we're talking about. We have to operate under a biblical viewpoint, not under what the world says, because otherwise we're conforming to what the world says. And so God lays this out very specifically, very ornately, helper suitable. This is something that has to play out. So this origin of sex takes place in scripture right here. And he says, listen, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. Sex has something very important in a relationship. It is two people becoming one. That is why in scripture it says that we don't, un- we don't become unequally yoked and we honestly should not be partaking in sex outside of marriage. This is something we're going to dig into a lot more. But listen, Adam was doing what God had created him to do, right? Adam was walking in the, in the garden. He's doing what God had created him to do. But listen, there was no suitable helper for him. Adam, listen, while he was resting and walking in the purpose that God called him for, God did something amazing with Eve. And listen, good things happen when we rest and we walk in the purpose that God called us for. That's exactly what we see is this gift that God gives, that when we rest and walk in God's purpose, God's going to provide the helper that's suitable. And I love this quote. The woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not to be made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near to his heart to be beloved. Yeah, Adam Henry, uh, or sorry, Matthew Henry, a great uh, preacher said that a long time ago. Matter of fact, I use that in sermons a lot of times, but I want you to think about what was, was just said. Men, you're not to rule over. You are not to be the one who tramples upon your wife, and likewise, wives, you're not to trample upon your husband and things like that. So when it comes to this idea of sex and sexuality and intimacy in the relationship, there has to be some communication that takes place between the two. But those are the intentions, and that's where we're going to jump into next. God said it. God created it. So listen, the origin of sex is great. When in the context of everything, right? When done in the proper context, sex is amazing. It's majestic. It's beautiful. But when it's taken out of context, when it's used out of the nature it was intended to, it's always going to lead to problems. So listen, the intentions of sex are, are, are something greater. Matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 13 says the marriage bed needs to be honored and kept pure. 
But I, I, I look at verses 24 and 25 in Genesis chapter 2, and it says, listen, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother. Those words are not interchangeable. Man and woman, not interchangeable. Father and mother, not interchangeable. They are very specific. So marriage or sexuality is to take place within the bonds of what? Biological male, biological female. Regardless of the conforming pattern that the world wants to call you to, this is what God calls. Anything outside of that is considered sin. And listen, we clarified this over the summer. We did a, a sermon on this. If you struggle with these types of tendencies, listen, God redeems and restores that which is broken and lost. And listen, there's the same thing here. You may, you may be partaking in heterosexual sin. You may be partaking in sin outside of marriage. And God redeems and redeems, but redeems and restores, sorry, Resteems and redoors? <laughs> Sorry. Words are hard. Words. Resteems and redoors, that's what was broken. And listen. You did it again. I quit. I'm done. God redeems and restores that. Right, there we go. I corrected it. That which is broken. And so listen, when we, when we jump into this, this, this whole idea of the intention of sex like, I think it's funny how worldly things that want to make it like they created it. No, you just took it out of context. Sex, when used in the proper balance, is great. It's beautiful. Like I said, it's majestic. Sex is God's idea, and he gave it to us, and he formed man and filled him with breath, and he gives him this great thing. And so there are three things that we see sex being good for, right? Number one is procreation. We see that in, 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 in Scripture. Number two is pleasure. And number three is it unites or bonds people together. This is the part that most Americans and most Christians don't like to talk about. This is why we say, if it feels good, go ahead and do it. No, because it unites and bonds people together into one. That's literally what the Bible is laying out here. That when I step outside the bounds of marriage, when I go beyond what God has called me to do, when I don't follow God's plan, then I have stepped outside the purpose. I'm not walking in the purpose God gave me, and I take things into my own hands. Now listen, I, I started to look up a lot of this, and I've, I have read uh, some things in the past. Did you know that sexual addiction, whether porn, pornographic or anything outside, is actually one of the hardest addictions to break? And here's the reason why. The dopamine that floods into your brain is actually seven times more addictive. Your brain becomes addicted to the dopamine that your body releases. And it's seven times more addictive than any drug or chemical you add to your body. This is why defeating pornography is huge. You have to make a stand. And so listen, when dopamine floods your brain, that's the reward thing, right? this reward mentality that takes place. That dopamine floods my brain, it's a reward. And here's what's crazy. When it's maintained within the bonds of marriage, that dopamine is a reward. And it happens between both partners, with, with, with your wife and with your husband. It's the reward aspect. And when that reward aspect takes place only within the bonds of marriage, there is a stronger bond between the two. And what you do is you begin to build a barrier. Remember, we talked about this a little bit. You begin to build a barrier or a fence against those things that are outside of marriage. Pornography, other women, movies that I shouldn't be watching. 
And I begin to build a barrier that begins to protect that bond between my wife and myself and her between me and her. But when I conform to the patterns of this world, what I begin to do is I take down the barriers and I say, I'm open to anything. I'm ready to follow because the world says it's okay. So there's the dopamine aspect, but I didn't know if you know this, that there's also what we call oxytocin. Oxytocin is released also in the body. And if you don't know anything about oxytocin, oxytocin is also called the love hormone or the love drug. And here's what happens in sex. When you partake in sex, dopamine floods the brain, right? You begin to get this reward thing, and then oxytocin begins to kick in. And the oxytocin, because it's a love for, uh, hormone, is, is really the excited by our sexual partner bond. There are three times when oxytocin is released. Only one in the male. The other two are in, well, the other three would be all in the female. Breastfeeding, birth, and sexual activity. And when that oxytocin kicks in, listen, when the oxytocin kicks in and you're not getting the reward, the love hormone, you begin to latch on to whatever that is. That's why when people have a sexual interaction with somebody else, they'll say things like, I think I love her. And what you're doing is you're basing it based upon an emotion or based upon a addiction to what's going on in your brain. As a matter of fact, as I looked more into this, did you know that, that, that dopamine will actually, I, I, I don't remember where I put that in my notes. I don't have it. Um, but dopamine, if you continue to, to overwhelm your brain with dopamine, that dopamine literally changes the wiring and, get this, the shape of your brain. And it makes you begin to respond or rely upon more and more upon that dopamine. That's why pornography is such a problem to overcome. And here's the problem. That is cold, it is heartless, it is non-connective, and it will destroy you. So keep in mind that the intention of sex was pleasure and procreation, but it unites. I heard this statement, and I think it's great. Banks don't have a vault, bars, and a security system because what's on the inside is bad, do they? They have a vault, bars, and a security system because what's on the inside is good, and what's on the inside has to be protected from what's on the outside. And so listen, it is our job as believers, it is our job as Christians to begin to protect, to put up the alarm systems, to say, hey, I want to guard and protect my marriage with my spouse because, listen, here's how it happens. I guard and protect my marriage by my, with my spouse by, even before I'm married, beginning to put up barriers and protections in place so that I'm not misled to follow the things that go on. So therefore, I don't date a girl, I'm going to be very clear on this, I don't date a girl who's not a believer, period. I don't date a guy who's not a believer, period. Not negotiable. You may say, well, I'm, I'm a missionary, right? I'm the missionary dater. Uh-uh. It's not the standard that God set up. And anytime you open up that door, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to take that down. I'm going to take down the barrier God set up in the first place. And I'm going to leave myself open because here's what's going to happen. It always does. If you love me, you'll what? You'll sleep with me. If it feels good, why not just complete the ceremony by taking part in these things? 
But sex is actually the bond that is going to hold marriages together. And when you try to, to put that glue together outside of marriage, there's going to be repercussions whenever that relationship ends. You ever tried to super glue something and then tear it apart? <laughs> it ain't pretty for either side. And that's what happens here because that is, that's why God created it to be within the bonds of marriage because this is not supposed to ever end. And so if you're just frivolously hopping into bed or even in long-term relationships, you're going to bed with people that you are not in the bond of marriage, you're super gluing yourself to them. And at some point when that that relationship ends, it's going to hurt and it's going to be ugly because that is not what God intended. You know, as I, as I think through this, you know, we save obviously the sex talk for last. Um, I was a youth pastor for years and this is something we did every year. And we had to. You have to deal with it. But I want to be very clear on this part. And here's what's crazy. A lot of times as adults, we're like, yeah, that's great for my kids, but hey, hold on a second. Things are different here. Things aren't different here. That's called a double standard for those of you who don't know. <laughs> yeah. Things aren't different here. If I hold this up and I build my life upon this word, we just sang about all that, right? Out of the holiness and the honor and the reverence for God, I want to build my life upon this word. Why? Because I believe he's going to de deliver me from my sins. I believe he's going to restore and redeem what is broken. I believe that he has a greater purpose for me in my life. And listen, I also believe that my marriage can be an unbelievable marriage. But when I conform to the patterns of this world, I'm going to have things like this. Marriage is tough. I got a way out, pornography. Marriage is tough, I got a way out. Person outside the bonds of marriage. Marriage is tough, I got a way out. I'm gonna deal with this all on my own when the reality is this, that God's intention was for it to never be broken, that God's intention was for us to experience the benefits and the blessings of being together forever. And there is a uniqueness that happens within the bonds of marriage. What God intended for good is to be used for good. That's what he, he wants. Listen, sexual immorality. Matter of fact, I'm going to jump to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. A lot of people go, that's great, right? And then they begin to ask this question. But listen to what 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 says. Because a lot of times people will look and go, that's good, that's fine, but there's other things that, that I can be dealing with, right? This is, this is God's way of dealing for all of us on what it means to be a follower of Christ. This is what he says in verse three. It is God's will that you should be what? Sanctified. I, I said this a couple weeks ago. Sanctification is what we call the ongoing work of God in my life. It's the Holy Spirit. Basically, I, I said this not too long ago and somebody went, what are you talking about? Anybody remember old Fells nap the soap? Come on. Again, he's Seriously? using words that aren't actual words. No, it's Fellsnap the soap. It's a brown bar of soap that was really hard and they would take this wash Remember the washboards? And sanctification is played out like this. If you had a dirty rag or whatever it is, you take the fells nap the soap and then you use it on the washboard and God is sanctifying you day in and day out. Say, oh, still dirty. He's clean out. Nope, still dirty. He's clean out. It's a washboard mentality that's going on. So he says it's God's will that you should be sanctified. In other words, there's an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in your life and he says this, that you should avoid what? 
sexual immorality, that you should learn to control his own body. Each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. Listen, when that term right there comes up in the Greek, it's porneia. Where do we get that term? What, what do we use? Pornography. It is God's will that you should avoid porneia or anything that is sexually immoral outside the bounds of marriage, period. It is God's will. Go back to what he says. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's what? Perfect, pleasing will is. So he lays this out. Listen, God's will is that all of us would be saved. That's his desire. We see that in 1 Peter. That, that we would be saved, that we'd be redeemed, that we'd be bought. But listen, we also understand that God knows that there are some who are going to just choose to continue to walk in a way that says, Pastor, that's great, but I'm not going to put these steps into practice. So there is the intention of sex. But we have to know this, that there's also a distortion and repercussions as a result of that. There is the distortion of sex and repercussions as a result. Because anything that God creates to be good, the world is going to take and twist to be distorted and say, no, no, it's better if you do it this way. But we have to always go back to what God intended in the first place. Matter of fact, if you're a parent, I would go home and ask your kids, where did you learn about sex? Ask them. Find out. I would venture to say some of them would probably tell you their friends. I would also venture to say some of them would think movies. Matter of fact, all you got to do is look at American culture and go, we learn about these things through movies. We, we tend to learn about these things. That's why we have the stupid romance novels. That's why we got the stupid chick flicks. Sorry. Hey. Everything should be... <laughs> Which, by the way, as we were preparing this message... <laughs> A few, few months ago, I don't know if you remember a message that he preached whenever he was talking about chick flicks and that my favorite book of the Bible in the Old Esther. Testament is Esther because of the love story. Um, I was not up here to defend myself. <laughs> that is not why I like the book of Esther. You read the book of Esther and the love story is kind of secondary. The whole rest of the book, go home and read it. Like I'm telling you, it is an awesome book and the love story isn't even the reason it's awesome. Yeah. So, so anyways, listen. I feel better. Anything, right? <laughs> Defend herself. Anything that God creates can be distorted. Did you know that? Like, it happens all the time even with Scripture. People will take Scripture and they'll distort it. In other words, they distort it because they take a verse out of context. And when they take a verse out of context, they'll say, see, God is for the sinful lifestyle that I have. It happens all the time. And so there's this distortion, and, and as a result, the repercussions. Listen, we just talked about the oxytocin, and we talked about the, the dopamine and things like that, but there are so many things. Listen, many today learn and get their views about sexuality from the media. From matter of fact, if your kids have TikTok, Instagram, um, Snapchat, or any of those, I can guarantee you they're seeing it. I pulled up Instagram, didn't realize I had an Instagram until not too long ago. Ethan goes, you got an Instagram? I was like, I do? <laughs> so I pulled up Instagram, and I asked Maria on Tuesday this week, I was like, hey, how do I get this? Because if you go into Instagram on my search thing, like, 
no joke, half the things that were coming up were like girls in like basically half naked. And I was like, I don't understand why this is pulling up because I just found out I had Instagram and this is what's popping up in the search bar and I haven't even searched for nothing. She goes, well, it's just Instagram. It seems to be more like that. But I can guarantee you your kids are learning about this. And I can guarantee you that in your mind, there are things that you've seen on TV and it's like, yep, that's right. It's, it's good. It's okay. The problem is there's a distortion and there's repercussions, right? And so that's where the world says, if you're hungry, what? Eat. If you're thirsty, drink. If you're feeling sexy, sex. Have at it. Have fun. Don't matter. But it's outside the bounds and the context with which God created. Listen, think about it this way. Basing our views on sex from movies is like learning to invest by watching The Wolf on Wall Street. Or learning to drive by watching Fast and Furious. Like, no dad's going to be like, here, sit down, son. Watch Dom. He's going to tear this place up. That's the way you drive. Right? But that's exactly how it oftentimes happens in our own world. Because our kids go, well, that's what love is. Love is all about these things. Because sex plays out, right? In a passionate lust, in a one-time act on a movie, and kids go, man, that's the way it is. And sadly, listen, it's not just kids, it's adults. We have been misled to believe that that's exactly how it plays out. And listen, husbands and wives. Husbands, your wife is never going to be a porn star for you. All right? I hope, right? You want somebody who is majestic and loving and beautiful. And when I say that, I'm not trying to, what I'm talking about is you're not wanting a porn star. And wives, your husband will never be, I don't even know, I'm, I'm going to say Fabio. Most of the teenagers will be like, Fabio, who the heck's that? He's not going to be the romance novel person, right? I'm trying to lay this out in a way, or no, he's not going to be Matthew McConaughey on 10 Things I Hate About You, yeah, whatever, or not how 10 Things, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, my bad. So it's, it's just not that way. And that's the dreams that oftentimes come up and we go, well, my wife isn't meeting these needs because I've watched this movie. Why couldn't my wife be more like, or why couldn't my husband be more like the, the, the feely guy in the, in the chick flick that was really connected to the... All of those things mislead. And that's that whole idea of the distortion and the repercussions. Listen, listen to the repercussions in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19. And here's what plays out. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says this, Having lost all sensitivity... What happens when we operate outside the bounds when we begin to conform to the patterns of the world? Here's what he says. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to the sensuality so as, listen, to indulge in every kind of impurity with the continual lusts for more. Do you see what plays out? We lose our sensitivity. And I want you to keep this in mind. When I talked about that whole dopamine thing with pornography and everything else, the more I access and the more I begin to believe those things, that dopamine rewires the brain. So we lose all sorts of sensitivity. And we've given ourselves over to the sensuality. And it says, listen, continually lusting for more. Play that out. 
Matthew chapter 7 says what? Wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Yeah, there was an article I read, matter of fact, this week. It's called Dating is Broken. It came out of the New York Times, um, and it said, this is kind of the subtitle, Going Retro Could Fix It. You can go home and look it up if you want to. Listen, it says, almost all Americans have sex before getting married. And that's been true for decades when we see that. But also in that same article, there was this statement. In 2020, or sorry, 2010, a study published by the American Psychological Association's Journal of Family Psychology looked at the relationship and the correlation between uh, how long somebody waits to have sex and the success of the relationship. And what they found is couples who waited until marriage had less consideration for divorce, higher relationship satisfaction, better communication, and superior sex when compared with couples who began having sex within a month of their first date or before they started dating. Couples who slept together between one month and two years after the first date but didn't wait till marriage saw about half of the benefits. And this is, this is a secular study. This is not something that, that uh, you say, well, you know, that may or may not be true. Like, this is, this is something that is, um, this is worldwide. Matter of fact, it goes on to say this, that people tend to make better decisions on dating when they aren't sexually connected. I want you to keep this in mind. Because of the release of the dopamine and oxytocin, we will make decisions like, I think I love this person and not listen to the people who are around us who say, that person's not a believer, don't go that direction. That person is not good for you, don't go down that road. People tend to make better decisions on dating when they aren't sexually connected. You wanna know why? Because sex is meant within the bonds of marriage. When I allow sex to be the primary thing, then I can say, I'm done, I quit. She's no longer putting out the way she used to put out. She's gotten big. I don't like that. Or he's gotten ugly and fat and his belly's so big. Like, it's over. Rapid sexual initiation leads to poor partner selection. Hmm. When you are sexually active outside the bounds of marriage, it's going to lead to poor partner selection because you begin to look for, listen, the sensual feeling of sex rather than is this true love. And we've even talked in, over the last few weeks about how our heart is deceitful. You know, sometimes whenever we get those rushes of those sensations, it, we, we kind of feel that, oh, it's my heart that's leading me. It's the, this, is, this is what's supposed to happen. This is, this is all the feels, you know, all the things. But Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful. No one can understand it. So this whole um, hogwash, for lack of a better word, of follow your heart is baloney because the heart is deceitful and it is going to send you in places that you should never be. You've got to have your transformed mind by the renewing of it in God's word. It comes back around, it circles back around to what is God's standard. We always used to tell our, 
our teenagers whenever we did youth ministry. Is a fire bad? Going home and having a nice warm fire in the fireplace is awesome. Like, I love going and sitting by the fireplace. It warms you, it warms the house, it cuts the utility bill. I mean, it's like there's just all kinds of really great benefits. But if I go home and I find a fire in my bedroom, on my bed, or in my kitchen, or outside of that fireplace, suddenly that awesome, amazing thing has become something that's going to be completely destructive. And it is going to ruin everything that you have. So listen, we talked about this. We talked about barriers and breaking down barriers. We talked about building bridges. We talked about the opportunities and relationships and not building fences. But I want to encourage you with this. In your marriage, you have to learn to build a fence. You have to put the protections and guards in place against pornography, against outside influence, against worldly pressure. And you begin to do this because remember what we said, banks don't put bars and, and, and cameras up in the vault in place because what's inside the bank is bad. What's inside the bank is good. Banks put up bars and cameras in the vault so that they can protect from the outside influences of what's going on in the world. So every time I listen to what the world says about sex and dating and initiation and everything else, whether it's pornography and things like that, what I'm doing is I'm, I am creating a wall between my spouse. But here's what I want to do. I want to use God's word as a wall and a barrier. So listen, that I can walk in the freedom that God promised, that I can enjoy the sex that God created and intended between one man and one woman in the bonds of marriage, and I can be in a great marriage that's going to last the test of time. Because listen, sex is not the end goal. Sex is not the primary thing. Sex is a benefit because guess what? That's the two becoming one. Listen, one. Pornography drives a fence between the one. And remember what God says when you got married. What God brought together, let man not what? Separate. Separate. Pornography is a driving or a wedge between you and your spouse. And it's going to lead to destruction because you're trying to take what was one and make it two. Same thing. You're doing sex outside of marriage. Guess what? It's the same aspect. And here's the way it plays out. When I guard my spouse and I guard myself, and I stand behind the wall of God's word, and I build my life upon that, then I build the barrier. I build the fence that protects my marriage from outside influence. Because I have to take the steps to do it. And here's the good news. You may be a person who says, listen, I'm a believer, and I've struggled. Or maybe you're not. Maybe maybe you're somebody who sits back and goes, I don't necessarily believe all this. But I want you to know today is this. That what we just talked about, this whole idea of redemption and restoration, that God does that even in that. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you want to experience the good news, if you want to experience the abundant life that God promised in your marriage, in your relationship, then you begin to put some of these principles that we talked about into practice, but it has to start with Jesus first. Jesus is the one who bought and purchased you, who redeemed you. Who's he, d- he didn't die so that you can walk around shackled. Yeah. He died so that we can have freedom in him. And that's freedom from any kind of sin. That's freedom from sexual sin, from pride, 
from anger, from anything that you're dealing with. He did not die so that we can walk around with big shackles. He set us free. Yeah. Yeah, I, I want you to know this, and I think it's important for us to understand. Today, you may be coming in with a heavy heart. Maybe divorce has already gone on. Things have happened. God is not so small that he can't redeem, that he can't restore, that he can't rebuild. Maybe you've gone too far. You've pushed the envelope and you say, well, I've been sexually active for years. Or maybe I've just done it once. But I want you to understand this, that Jesus died on the cross for you and I to walk in freedom. And what Sarah just said is 100% true. Remember, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan came to divide and create division. And listen, parents, husbands, wives, you have to understand that Satan is after you, period. He is after you, and he's going to go after your kids. It is evident in what's going on in our society. It's evident what's going on in culture. It's evident what's going on in our movies and in media, that he's going to go after the family. And listen, be very clear. Satan has done everything he can to undercut what family is. Whether you want to talk about sex, right, and sex outside of marriage, all the way to the homosexuality stuff, all the way to transgender things, Satan is after marriage. And listen, if he gets to the family, he knows he's gotten to the heart of what God set up in the first place. Because what man or what God joined together, let man not separate. And what is man attempting to do? They're conforming. They're trying to have an ideology that it's okay, it feels good, just go ahead and follow through. The problem is it completely denies God's word, number one. And let's be honest, in today's world, it's completely even denying biology. And when it's based upon feelings and emotions, you've overstepped. Because psychology will always fail. My mind is going to mislead, but listen, Jesus will never mislead. The Holy Spirit will never misguide. He's always going to point you to the truth, and he's standing here with open arms saying, you can be bought, you can be redeemed, you can be restored. With every head bowed and every eye closed, just where you're at, I want you to know this, that Jesus stands with open arms wherever you're at for you to run to him. And the reality is you don't have to go far because he's right behind you waiting for you to turn. The Bible says it very clearly that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. But listen, it doesn't stop there. It's not just a, a, a one-time thing. It's this idea of the sanctifying work, the, the ongoing cleansing of God in my life. And listen, some of us have been misled to think that I've been justified once by Jesus, but I don't have to change my lifestyle when that is far from the truth. Maybe there are some who are here today, you're dealing with pornography and addiction. Listen, we're at a point right now in this world where it is easier to access pornography and sexual stuff on our phones and on the internet than anywhere else. And listen, Satan wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your marriage. 
He wants to destroy your future marriage. He wants to destroy the hope that you have for a future with a family and things like that. He wants to do everything he can to create division. And listen, it is, it is time for you to put your foot in the sand. It's time for you to turn to Jesus. Let Jesus carry the weight of your sin and walk in an abundant life and a new life that he promises because he says that he has come that, that we would have a new life free from our old life. And so just where you're at today, would you turn that over to Jesus? God, we want you to invade our space. That spirit you would convict and guide today. And here's what I want to do with the piano playing, just where you're at, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you have never placed your faith and trust in Christ today, and you want to do it for the first time, just raise your hand where you're at. Jesus died on the cross for each and every one of us. That doesn't give us a license to continue sinning. We're going to still struggle with sin, but Jesus died on the cross to free us from the bondages of sin and slavery and to walk in the freedom that he gives us. Freedom and a hope and a promise for a future that is greater than we could ever ask or imagine. Today, if you are here, just again, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would say, I'm praying for a miracle right now. I'm asking God, I'm turning this over to God, that he would release me from a pornography addiction or a sexual addiction that you're struggling with. Would you just raise your hand? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Are you struggling with this issue? Here's very simply how we want to close. Sarah and I are going to be up here We'll have Chris standing by. If you want somebody to pray with you, to pray over you, to talk with you through this, this is how we want to close. We're going to be up here. Father, we pray. We pray, number one, that your holiness is, is lifted up. God, that we realize that we're going to be held accountable for the actions and sins in our lives. But God, we also know that if we are faithful or that you are faithful and just, that if we confess our sins, that you will forgive us of any and all unrighteousness. And God, I know today that there are some here who will need to have marriages restored, renewed, refreshed, that, God, we can experience the majestic beauty of sex within the bonds of marriage that you intended it for. That we wouldn't settle for roadkill. But, God, we would settle for the thing that you have for us. That person that you have set aside for us. That we can walk in victory and away from sin. Because your spirit guides us and leads us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.